0: We're going to be in Hebrews 10, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and and open up there. We're going to follow along pretty much verse by verse, starting at verse 11 and kind of working all the way through verse 25. I believe we can do it, even though some Sundays we only cover one verse. We're going to cover a bunch of verses today. Hebrews 10, 11 to 25, we're going to be looking at four different characters, um, the group of priests, We're gonna look at Jesus Christ, we're gonna look at the Holy Spirit, and we're gonna look at you, and really all of us. Um, And for each group of people, uh, we're gonna simply say, how do they spend their time? How do they spend their time? So um, how, how many of you felt good about how you spent your time this past week? How many of you felt bad about how you spent your time this past week? How many of you were somewhere in between? Yeah, most of us, right? That's, so, so today is, is meant to hopefully be helpful uh, as you consider how you spent, spend your time and, uh, and, and, and really thinking about we want to land on how does Jesus spend his time in an ongoing way and what does the Holy Spirit do with his time and, and what effect does that have on us? So uh, verse 11 we're going to start by looking at the group of priests. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. All right, so, so just look at this. Um, what is the priest doing? How is the priest spending his time? He is, um, what? Standing daily at service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. This is really important. Which can never take away sin. Uh, you have, you've heard the definition of insanity, right, where you keep doing the same thing, right? So anyways, uh, why in the world do these guys do the same thing every single day if it doesn't work? Uh, I want you to just think about this, and we'll, we'll have a side note pause in just a minute. The reason that they are standing daily um, uh, doing their service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, is simply because God told them to. In the Old Testament, right, we talked about this. Uh, We've actually referenced it a couple of different times through the course of this series. God set up this Old Testament sacrificial system um, to, to where they would be daily standing in the tabernacle, in the temple, offering sacrifices in an ongoing, busy kind of way. And they were supposed to do that until, we might say, a better, best sacrifice would come and put a stop to that daily, repetitive, sacrificial system that didn't actually take away sin. All right, so here's the, the side note, okay? Um, Old Testament sacrifices, this is a side note, uh, were never actually meant to be God's final decisive word on our sin. We, we might say that, that what the sacrificial system did was, was it, it simply covered over or it forgave our sin. But, but it didn't actually perfect the sinner. Do you see the problem with that? So, so uh, what the Old Testament sacrificial system did is it, is it offered atonement, it, it, it covered over the sin uh, of the people, it, it brought forgiveness to them, but it didn't actually change the heart of the sinner. That's one of the main points that's being made here in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, If we go way backwards, uh, Psalm chapter 40, uh, there's some really interesting language. Listen to this. Um, Sacrifices and offering you did not delight in, O God. Um, Offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have not required. Now, why would the writer of Psalm 40 say that? Because we know that actually God does delight in sacrifices and offerings. And we know that God actually does um, require burnt offerings and sin offerings. He's saying that because in the ultimate kind of way, in the ultimate sense, those things are not God's final word on sin. That's not the ultimate be all uh, answer for God on, uh, on, on what judgment looks like. And so, so he's trying to draw out this point that says that, that the Old Testament sacrificial system is helpful um, because it kind of in a temporary fashion covers over and forgives sin, but it's not meant to be God's final word on sin. Um, it's not meant to perfect the sinner. So, uh, coming back to the uh, the main point, what is the priest doing? The priest is standing, and he is busy sacrificing, um, uh, serving, doing the right kind of thing, uh, doing what needs to be done in an ongoing, repetitive kind of way. Have I lost you all? Are you okay? Everybody everybody, all right so far? All right, so here we go. Uh, second character uh, is the character that we've been talking about, um, our Lord and Savior Jesus. And check this out. This is going to be uncomfortable for me, right? This is what Jesus is doing. <sighs> He's sitting. <clears throat> Just listen to it. Hebrews um, uh, uh, chapter 10, verses 12 and following. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So what is Jesus doing? He's really doing two different things in this section. First of all, he is sitting down, right? And we've got to just see the contrast of what we just talked about in verse 11. The priest is standing up, busy, moving around. Jesus is sitting down um, and, and we'll talk about the other thing in a second. Why is he sitting down? Because he offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. The blood that he shed, that his flesh that was torn open was the better, best sacrifice that God had planned. Um, the blood that He shed and the flesh that, that, that the, His flesh that was torn open was God's final word on sin. And, and so, since He is the better, best sacrifice, no more sacrifice needs to be made. And, and look at the effect of this, right? Verse 14, uh, we could probably preach a whole sermon just on this. This is a fascinating phrase. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so just see this, right? To be sanctified means essentially that you are taken away from the profane and moved towards something holy. So if this is the profane thing, the worldly thing, and this is God over here, uh, the work of sanctification means that you are being moved slowly or maybe quickly away from the profane and moved towards God. And so this says that, that Jesus and his sacrifice, right? The work that he did um, perfected those who are being... <laughs> sanctified. Uh, The word perfected there means complete, um, uh, accomplished, right? So so the sense is that Jesus and his sacrifice accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for you to be connected to God. And so because that work was done, because that work was finished, because he said it is finished on the cross, Jesus can (sighs) sit down. And just see the second thing that he is doing. This is kind of cool. Um, uh, Jesus is actually, I would say, waiting. How weird is that, that Jesus is waiting? Do you see the language that's there? He is waiting for his enemies to, made a, to be made a footstool under his feet. In other words, Jesus is waiting to, uh, what? Uh, kick his feet up. Maybe take off his shoes, his sandals, I guess. He has sandals probably, right? He's waiting to kick his feet up. When Jesus kicks his feet up, it means that Satan is rendered completely powerless, 100% ineffective. He can't trick you anymore. He can't lie to you anymore. Um, he, he, can't, he can't deceive you anymore. Um, When Jesus kicks his feet up, death is completely destroyed and eliminated, right? No more suffering, uh, no more struggle, no more pain, no more tears, right? When Jesus kicks his feet up, the enemy is completely uh, abolished, completely eliminated, completely destroyed, and so Jesus, it says, is waiting for that, and I think that we probably are too, amen? (laughs) Amen. Oh man, we are waiting for that day when Jesus gets to kick his feet up on the enemies right, and and make his enemies his footstool. Now why is Jesus waiting? Uh, Why does he have to wait? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. The whole point is, hey, this is what Jesus is doing. He's sitting at the right hand of God because the sacrifice was made, and he is waiting for the ultimate day when he gets to kick his feet up because his enemies are completely eliminated. Here's the third character. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the third character. This is verse 15 and following. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Um, The Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit doing with his time? Uh, He is bearing witness, right? Uh, To be a witness means that you see something or you hear something and you begin to speak about it to somebody else. So the Holy Spirit has seen something or heard something about Jesus or about God and he is, what, speaking that to our hearts and to our minds, And and he's speaking primarily, according to Hebrews 10, two things, right? Uh, He's speaking God's law to us. Hey, um, here's God's best way to do life. That's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts and to our minds. This is is a life that would be God-pleasing. And he's also speaking forgiveness to us. Um, Look at the language, right? That God won't even remember sins and lawless deeds. And he won't even remember sins and lawless deeds anymore. So the Holy Spirit comes and, he, and he, uh, he speaks God's law to us. Hey, this is the best way to do life. This is the most God-pleasing way to do life. And he's also reminding us that Jesus is sitting, <laughs> that no more sacrifice is being made, that that, that, that system is, is, is gone because Jesus made that ultimate, best, better sacrifice. And so you are absolutely 100% perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm perfect. Don't take that too far. I know you can't do it, right? But look, that's because we've got our eyes where? On me and not on him, right? We're, we're, we're stuck in this process of being sanctified. And so it's really interesting, right? Because we should be able to look at our neighbors and say, I'm perfect, right? Because of what Jesus has done, because we've got our eyes on him and not on me anymore. And so that's the beautiful truth of what has happened, right? And see, uh, it's really helpful then to be looking at how other people um, use and spend their time because that then affects how I spend my time. I'll talk about that at the end in just a minute. The the fourth character, uh, as I already mentioned, is you or me or the church in general, right? And and there's actually five different things that I'm going to throw at you for how we should be spending our time. So, if you were one of those that said, I don't like how I spent my time, right? Then this is the moment for you to tune in and say, man, maybe I could do something different. Uh, or, or if you kind of had some moments where, man, I didn't really wanna spend my time that way, this is the moment, right? Where you can kind of say, here's five things, five suggestions for a different way to spend your time. First thing is, is merely a suggestion, not directly in the text. This is a, a step removed from it. I'm just telling you, this is like Pastor Dave making a conclusion based on Hebrews 10. First thing uh, that we should do, maybe how we should spend our time, is to simply what? Sit down. <laughs> Just think about this. Um, the, 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 this is the contrast between the priest and Jesus. Jesus comes and he is the better, best sacrifice. And so how silly would it be for that priest to continue to stand up, being busy, um, doing the same sacrifice, the same service in an ongoing kind of way? If the priest does that, then he is essentially saying, hey, the work of Jesus is not enough. The work of Jesus is not sufficient. Um, It's not complete enough, and so I've got to continue to do something. And so it seems to me, right, just a suggestion that, that we should be a people that at least occasionally sit down and we just let the work of Jesus be sufficient. We just let the work of Jesus be enough. Right? Our sitting down occasionally, I'm not promoting laziness here, just to be clear, um, Right, uh, sitting down occasionally, oh man, that's an that's a ongoing witness and testimony that says, hey, I don't have to be in control, I don't have to be enough, my Jesus and his work is sufficient and enough. So one way that we might spend our time is to simply sit down. Uh, another uh, suggestion, right, not directly in the text, uh, Pastor Dave making a conclusion based on what we see here is to listen. I, I thought about saying sit down and shut up, but uh, we're going to say S- sit down and listen, right? It's just uh, uh, my children are here, so I didn't think that would be appropriate. Anyways, uh, sit down and listen, um, right? Um, I have a lot to say to my kids, and, um, and, and, and here's the deal, um, if my kids aren't listening to what I have to say, does it matter that I'm talking? <laughs> Just think about that, right? I mean, it's really important stuff in my view. Um, I have a lot of really important things to say, but my children don't always listen to me. And so if they don't listen to me, then it's essentially ineffective talking. Same thing in our relationship with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit has incredible things to say to us. He's trying to speak to our hearts and to our minds the best way to do God's uh, to do life according to God's plan. He's trying to speak to us, "Hey, you are a forgiven, chosen child of God. You've been perfected by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and in the empty tomb." Right? Th- these are important things for the Holy Spirit to be speaking to our hearts and to our minds. But guess what? If we don't listen, <laughs> then it doesn't really matter. And so we've gotta be a people that are learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ways that we should spend our time, sit down, listen, and then we get back into the text. These are no longer Pastor Dave, this is God Almighty speaking through the writer of the book of Hebrews, Uh, verse 19 and following. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, so the third thing that we should do is we should enter holy places confidently, confidently. Um, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the emphasis here in Hebrews 10 would be on that confidence piece right, because they're used to entering into holy spaces. Uh, the people of God throughout history have been used to, okay, there's a tabernacle, I'm supposed to go, right? There's a, there's a temple, I'm supposed to go. Um, there's, uh, right, we aren't quite so enthusiastic about going into tabernacle, temple, church, right? So, but we'll get there in a second, right? The, the emphasis here is on the confidence piece, because while they got to go, there was very often a what? A big curtain between them and the most holy place. There was often a a big curtain and a big separation between them and where God was most clearly, truly present. But now, Jesus has shed his blood. Now, Jesus has opened a way for us to be in the most holy, holy space, wherever God is most truly present. Now, God has cleansed our hearts. Now, God has washed away the sin and the filth. Now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty because he's done that work of perfecting you. And again, right? if we're looking at ourselves, no confidence, just fear. right? I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be in the presence of God. I don't deserve to be where he is. But if we're looking at him and what he's doing, what he has done, that's where our confidence comes from. So we need to be a people that enter holy places confidently. But, but I would say for us, uh, as I mentioned, the, the emphasis should really just be simply, are we entering into holy spaces? It's a little bit similar to the sit down uh, comment or thought, but um, we've got to have places where we can get out of the busyness of life. We've got to have places and spaces where we can get out of the craziness of the world around us. We've got to have spaces where, where we're just you know, more prone to connect with God like we've never connected before. Uh, for me, uh, that often is, uh, uh, for instance, maybe when we go to PLI and we get to listen to, to uh, passionate speakers talking about Jesus and his impact on our life or, or the work of being on mission with him. Uh, it, it means uh, maybe being in a, in a gathering of people and just listening to the people of God sing together Right? That, that's, a, that, that's a sacred, holy space where I get to connect with Jesus in a very real, tangible way. Um, but, but in a simpler fashion, um, uh, my couch with a cup of coffee and my scripture is just as holy and just as sacred. Um, if I'm willing to actually linger there and, and stay in the presence of God long enough to connect. And so we've got to be a people that are that are entering holy spaces because, look, Jesus made a way for relationship. He made a way for us to connect with him in an ongoing way, and so we should be a people that are engaging that relationship. Fourth thing that we should do is we should hold fast, uh, hold firmly to the hope that we confess. Uh, it's in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, Um, uh, hold firmly to the hope that we confess, which is to say that we hold on firmly to Jesus, right? Uh, Hope is a certainty um, that something better is coming. Uh, Hope is a certainty that that, that something better is ahead. It's not a vague wish, it's not a dream, it's a certainty, right? And the best certainty that we have is Jesus. The only certainty that we have, in fact, that things are going to get better, is that we have a Jesus who's sitting sitting at the right, he's sitting on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he is going to someday, what, kick his feet up. And Satan's going to be rendered powerless, and death is going to be completely destroyed. And and look, it, it hasn't happened yet, but if God spent, you know, all of the Old Testament pointing to what Jesus was going to do, If he spent all of the, if he planned even before the foundation of time to send Jesus and be that perfect, better, best sacrifice, for me, that's enough to say, oh man, I know it's coming. My Jesus is going to kick up his feet and and it's going to get so much better. And so we've got to hold firmly onto that hope that we have in Jesus. Um, If we don't hold firmly onto Jesus, If we don't hold firmly onto that hope, then we're likely prone to two things. One would be hopelessness, and the other would be disappointment. (laughs) Because look, if we don't hold firmly onto Jesus, and maybe we're starting to hold less firmly, maybe we're letting go of Jesus altogether, then what is going to happen is the world is going to take Jesus out of our hands and plop something else in there. And we're going to start saying, oh, I can hope in... That, whatever it might be for you, and, and that thing is gonna disappoint because nothing, nothing can make things better like Jesus. And so we've gotta hold firmly to the hope that we confess. Uh, last thing, fifth thing that we should do is that we should stir up. Um, uh, this is a great word, you, I've, I've talked about this before. before. Um, the word is to irritate or agitate. Uh, Go ahead and look at a neighbor, probably easier to say this, and say, I'm going to irritate you. Exactly. Some of you say that all too willingly, and I'm sure, I am sure that some people are going to use that against me this coming week, looking at them in the room. And and, and here's the deal, Um, uh, uh, right, to stir up, to agitate, to irritate to something specific, Uh, Just see this, the writer of Hebrews uh, knows that that word could be maybe misused in families or in uh, working relationships. And so he doesn't say, hey, we stir one another up to politics. Hey, we stir one another up to social issues. Hey, we stir one another up to, to sports things. No, we stir one another up to what? Love and good works. We stir one another up to love, to, to, to love one another and to love Jesus like we've never loved before. And we stir one another up to good works, to embrace a moment, to embrace an opportunity, and to do good in the life of people around us. So be careful if you use that uh, and make sure that we are stirring one another up, that we are irritating and agitating one another on to love and to good works. Um, so we kind of uh, just come back to, to that thought of um, how, how did you spend your time this past week? And really, here's the thing, right? How are you going to spend your time this coming week? Um, how other people use their time affects how I use my time. Just think about the, the practicality of that for a second. Um, uh, if Krista does the dishes, then guess what? I don't have to do the dishes. I can go and do something else. I can use my time for something else. I would be silly if I went and I did the dishes immediately after she did them. She's usually a pretty good dishwasher, so I, I don't need to like redo or undo her work, right? I can go and do something else. The same way, um, if I'm doing the laundry, she doesn't, you know, she she can spend her time doing something else. She doesn't need to uh, take all the clothes that I washed and folded and put away and take them out of the drawers and put them back in the washing machine and wash them all again because I'm a pretty good laundry washer. Thank you very much. So uh, just see this, right? It it would be silly if we went back and we tried to do the same thing again. So, So how other people use their time affects how I use my time. And so while I gave you five suggestions for how you can spend your time, my real hope for you is that you go back and you say, how is Jesus spending his time? What, how, how did he spend his time? How is he spending his time right now? How is he going to spend his time in the future? Because, guys, that impacts how we live our lives. And, and I hope that you'll go back and you'll say, how is the Holy Spirit spending his time? Because that impacts how we spend our time today. That's my real hope for you. Amen? Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, we thank you. Uh, You you, you used your time in the most incredible way. Oh, man, Uh, you did so many incredible things while you were here. Uh, You you, you are sitting at the right hand of God. And uh, as strange as it seems, you are waiting, waiting for that final day, waiting to kick your feet up. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your ongoing work, the way that you use your time in an ongoing way. Um, and give us ears to listen. Give us hearts to respond. Would you just, just move in our lives um, so that we can use our time in better ways than we ever have before. So we can use our time uh, w- with an eye on, on what you're up to and, and have been up to and, and will be up to in the future. Jesus, we thank you for the chance to, to just rejoice and be considering um, who you are and all that you have done. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen.